Welcome, Seekers of Truth, coming to you from the edge of the known universe, better known as the Granite State, home of Betty and Barney Hill. Through the magic of electronic alchemy, a portal to another dimension has opened. You are about to make a metaphysical connection. This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Walt Schnabel, Jim Loretta, and I, Eric Render King Fisk, talk about the possible conspiracy surrounding the assassination of John Kennedy Jr., the Gemstone Files, the Oliver Stone interview in George Magazine, and more. All coming up on episode 89 of the Metaphysical Connection. Stay tuned. What's new in the desert with Jim Loretta and Jim Morrison? Uh, okay, well, let me say that. Uh, I'm going to revisit an old news topic that just seems to resurface now and then. And uh, basically... Keeps, uh, keeps biting you on the ass? It keeps biting all of us. Uh, <laughs> it's the fact that the moon is actually hollow. And uh, that book you uh, gave me, Walt, you know, I read it. One of the things they said in there is that, uh, you know, the ancient aliens had technologies to hollow out asteroids and turn them into ships. Right. Uh, un under that disguise, they could fly into uh, planetary systems and wage war and catch them by surprise. So what this article said basically is what we've revisited before is that um, the moon was like flown into orbit. There are a number of reasons why they feel that it's artificial. Uh, one of the uh, Apollo missions, they um, um, they let one of the uh, propulsion units drop back onto the surface and the moon rang for an hour. And uh, they're saying that the orbit is perfectly circular and a perfect distance from the Earth. They said it's just uh, too many factors to make it you know, be artificial and just happenstance. So uh, that, that surfaced in a recent article and it, it seems to be gaining some traction as time goes on when other little bits of information uh, come to the surface. Yeah. There's also some, some of the ancient cultures in their mythology talk about a time before the moon. Yes, kind of, kind of interesting. That yeah. is very interesting. That there was a, a time long ago before the moon. I, I, I think that's, I think that has validity. Mm -hmm. you know. There's, there's also some thinking that uh, Lucas used that concept for the uh, Death Star, the space station. Yeah. yeah, that's no moon. It's a space station. Let's see, um, the a remote viewing program uh, that also popped up. That was a, yeah, that was a story I was really interested in. Um, actually, I think we we probably ought to do a whole show on that at some point. That that's that's a really interesting um, whole line of thought. I, I'm not really sure how it works or what's going on with it. It's I guess it it functions at a quantum level. Um, yes, and mm -hmm. it taps into that um, sort of collective unconsciousness. I guess that is that. Um, you know, that's been talked about many times, but, um, I don't know, maybe you know more about it, Jim. What, what was, what was, no, I, no, I think, I think you're, you're right on with your speculation. 
First of all, let me revisit your comment, Walt. I think uh, people, certain people can be trained to enhance their psychic abilities, I, and I think those abilities probably do work at a quantum level. I think you're correct there. Um, they also, the article inserted uh, comments by Kredo Mutwa, who is uh, a Zulu uh, traditional healer and medicine man. Um, he talked about the time that he was abducted and uh, what they did to him. And... Um, uh, the two, the four bases that they remote viewed, and I thought this was interesting because I never heard of them before. It said there's four alien bases that they remote viewed. One is underneath Mount Zeal, another Mount Perdido in Spain, another in Mount Inyangani in Zimbabwe, and the last one is in Alaska under Mount Hayes. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. I mean, I do believe there are underground bases out of which they're operating. How, for how long? Probably longer than we realize. And um, uh, what do you guys, I mean, what's your guys, what do you, what, what's your take on that? Do you, do you buy into the fact that there's, that they have successfully remote viewed four alien bases? I think there's more than four, but those are the, seem to be the main ones they came up with. Walt, you want to go ahead first and I'll give you my two cents? Yeah, I, I I think it's a very real possibility. Um, again, you know, I, I'm not sure how the process <clears throat> of remote viewing works. I know that it's been um, highly, um, it's it's been a military project for for a long time because they, of course, they were trying to weaponize it somehow, which is which is what they do with everything. But um, there was a, I, I saw a guy on, and I can't bring his name up right now, but he, he was in the military and he's considered the leading remote viewer. Um, and he actually trains people um, to, to do it. And, and they've had a, they've had a really high degree of success with some, some of the things that they've done. So I, I don't have any reason to doubt that um they are using remote viewing to, you know, to actually what what they're really doing is transporting themselves into that physicality somehow um, through through mental processes. Um, and he talked about it. He was on Buzzsaw with um, Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son, on Gaia, and uh, he he gave a very convincing argument for it. Um, there's a, there's another guy who who was mentioned in the article that you sent, Jim, Ingo Swan. Yeah, yes. He's he's supposed to be the I guess the top. Um, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. I think he might be. But anyway, he he had some really amazing things that he that he did with with remote viewing so yeah i think it's a legitimate thing i think it's something that is outside the realm of physical you know physics and physical science but as you know we've talked about multiple times before that that doesn't mean that it doesn't have credibility it just means that it's a different realm that it's operating in and um <clears throat> so i i don't have no reason to doubt that that you know what they're what these remote viewers are seeing is legitimate the russians have done a lot with that too uh, you know what they had actually they, they actually had a name for one of these programs i think it was called um mk ultra um and which we'll, we will probably talk about in the other um segment of the show that it is a documented fact that the, the cia and other branches of the federal government did play with the idea of mind control and some um, psychic powers and whatever and a lot of people say, well, that, that's that's crazy. That sounds absolutely, totally nuts. Well, you know what? Um, you know, the Manhattan Project was considered nuts by some secret insiders for a while. The idea that, you know, harnessing the power of the atom was something out of science fiction. And, well, you know, Hiroshima, Nagasaki proved otherwise. There's the other notion of the, the fact that 
Um, Forbes just published another article that I have linked to on our uh, everything is old and new forum, the Electric Speakeasy. We have a, a new forum up that's for both the Fedora Chronicles and the Metaphysical Connection, uh, electricspeakeasy.com. And I have posted a link to an article, uh, two articles. Notice this how Eric Quayley snuck an ad in there. I know. Uh, the Metaphysical Connection is brought to you by Electric Speakeasy. When Facebook and Twitter just doesn't cut anymore, join us at the Electric Speakeasy. ElectricSpeakeasy.com. So anyway, um, so the Pentagon over the course of, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, 20 years has lost $21 trillion. That's trillion with a T. And you cannot help but wonder, what does $21 trillion buy? Well, you can make the argument that you could provide everybody here in the United States, if not the world, free college education, uh, free health care, and, um, you know, a, a brand new Buick. I don't know. Uh, but that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of money to have, quote, lost. And the idea that they, quote, lost this money opens the door to a lot of speculation. What did they do with all of that money? Did it all, did it, or, I mean, did they, where'd they get that money? Is this all money that's been tacked onto the debt? Um, how- well, here, here's the thing, Eric. The, the guy I was talking about um, that was on... Sean Stone Show. He he actually offers a course in remote viewing. Okay. So you know you could take the course and you could remote view where the money is. I think you know what, Walt. That, that? That's that's your assignment for the next show. I want you to take that course. I think, it's, I I think it's like two hundred dollars to, to oh. take the course. Okay. I, I actually would like to try that. Um, I I don't know. It seems it. You know, I always get a little skeptical when people try to make money off of stuff. Yeah, I do know. too. I do um, too. Not not um, not in the trillion dollar range, but um, the, you know, the guy seemed very legitimate. I mean, he seemed like an authority on remote viewing. So you know, it might be something to to look into. Uh, I don't know how you would do that. You know, it seems like you would almost have to do that in person. Yeah. You know, to, to I don't I don't know how you could do that like over the internet or whatever. Could you teach? Maybe, I think he's he's located in on the west coast somewhere i think but um anyway it's a, it's an interesting concept um i would like to know more about the actual nuts and bolts of it how it how it actually happens yeah uh, did, did you get any information on that jim or um no no i didn't i did not no, i never saw anything uh this was just strictly an article on um Stanford University's uh, program and what they had come up with. Uh, they've been running a remote viewing research program for 25 years. So they, this is probably a drop in the bucket. The fact that you know they remote viewed four alien bases, they probably come up with a lot more. It has military applications that we'll never hear about. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, they try to weaponize everything. I mean, you know, intelligence is really it's what it's all about. You know, there, knowing there's what's been, going um, enemy. There's, there's been, uh, segueing uh, to your moon, hollow moon story, well, there's now, been people that remote viewed um, on the moon. Yes. And, and saw um, alien figures walking around. And um, I'm assuming this would be on the other side of the moon, the dark side. But, um and and structures and things like that. So um, apparently, it, you can go off planet with with remote yeah, well, viewing as well. Oh yeah, I've 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 read about that. Uh, they've done that successfully. And uh, 
I watched uh, some of my episodes of Ancient Aliens De- Declassified, which sometimes is a pretty good show. And they talked about the moon, and they talked about, um, you know, various alien races that have been viewed on the dark side, you know, ruins uh, that our astronauts saw more than they were allowed to talk about, mm-hmm. but, the, but they hinted at it. And uh, we tried to weaponize the moon. We wanted to bring our nuclear weapons, uh, test them there. And uh, this program talked about us being warned off significantly by um, alien races who said that, you know, bringing those weapons into space was off limits. So uh, no, I, no, moon, yeah. no moon for you. No yeah. moon. No moon for you. <laughs> no moon for you. Three thousand years. They had a giant. Uh, they had a giant sign, Earth. and the giant sign said, "Earthers need not apply. No yeah. vacancy." The guy, the one guy on the show, is pretty interesting. He said, "Look, the evidence is there. All you need to look is to look at the untouched photos that that you get can get hold of that NASA took because they airbrushed everything significant out of them. Right. When they released to the public." And the thing is, is like if if they have taken these crystal clear pictures of the moon and they've published these pictures of, you know, the moon that NASA has taken with our our space probes before uh, the Apollo landings and you have these big, huge spots that are blurry or that they've yeah. been smudged. And the question is, is that, well, wait a minute, if these are crystal clear pictures and everything else is crystal clear except for these weird rectangles and squares. How do you account for that? Oh, well, that's pixelation. Well, that's just the, the problem with some of the, uh, the, the the relay, the radio relay between the satellite and Earth, and that's just missing data. And what the computer did is that it just, um, you know, it, it, it took... Uh, it's anti-aliasing. Yeah, that's that's the ticket. It uh, it just filled in those gaps with the average um, uh, hexagon code of the of the average color and all the surrounding frames. Yeah, that's what happened. That's the ticket. And uh, and uh, I learned it all from my wife, uh, Morgan Fairchild. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, uh, it, the idea that they have these pictures that have obviously something removed from them. And I don't know what it is. I'm not going to, you know, say I'm going to pound my fist and I'm going to say this is proof of an advanced society that that planted their flag on the moon thousands or millions of years before us. I'm saying that that's a possibility. The idea that they actually took the time to remove those parts of the image is very suspicious. And I think that, I mean, for me, that's another aspect of the smoking gun. And that is more proof of the fact that they lie to us about even the smallest, dumbest thing. They could have easily have said and changed the paradigm. I know I know it's scary, but they could have easily have said, hey, this is there are these structures on the moon and they're scary as all hell. But we should we should investigate what they are. And the American public would have said, by all means, wow, this is exciting. We should see what this is. Or they could have, I mean, just come out and say what actually happened. Because I don't think that, I don't think people are that stupid. I think that people, if you believe that Jesus walked on the water, it's not a stretch to believe that beings of another realm or another planet, another period in Earth's history, whatever, settled on the moon thousands or millions of years ago. Just disclose it. I don't, I I don't see a problem with that. Do you, Walt? Well, I, th- I think there's also some thinking that the moon was a base, yeah. like a stopping off point for um, alien races that were visiting 
<clears throat> maybe not only visiting Earth, but maybe Mars and and some of the other planets too. But way, you know, way, way, way back. Yeah. Um. So it was. So it was getting back to Jim's theory about it being put in place. Perhaps it was actually put in place as a as a base. You know. Yeah. To to stop off and do whatever they were doing there. I don't know. But um, you know, getting back to the re- the remote viewing thing too. Ingo Swan apparently um, with remote viewing predicted that there was a ring around Jupiter yeah. before any um, anybody else, astronomers or anybody else, was able to <clears throat> to become aware of that. So, so And then when they put the probe, what was the probe that went out? Um, you're, you're good with probes, Eric. What was the one that flew past Jupiter? Do you remember? How recently? Are we talking about the original Pioneer probes, or are we talking uh, about Voyager? It might have been. Vo- was it, that, it's was the, that the... It's Phobos the, probe. It's the, it's the it's the Voyager probes that discovered the ring around Jupiter. Uh, okay, that was it. Yeah. Um, so he was able to identify that before, and it, and he did it intentionally because he wanted to sort of see if there was any proof as to what he was, you know, had, what he was doing had legitimacy. So he said that he saw through remote viewing that there was a ring around Jupiter, and then when the probe went by it, <clears throat> it verified it. So you know that that's pretty good proof, I think. Of what he's doing. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. I'd, I'd like to learn more about it, actually. Well, uh, beyond beyond <clears throat> remote viewing, evidently, according to uh, Gary McKinnon, this was on the Declassified show. You know, we have a solar warden, we have the space fleet, we have fleet to fleet transfers. This is uh, you know information you guys are familiar with that he he uh, evidently hacked. But uh, <clears throat> it, the show went on to talk about the fact that you know. Uh, there's a number of nations that are involved in this and that they, we've already been to the moon and to Mars and found ruins. Yeah. And, um, you know, so remote viewing is one aspect, but actual proof being there evidently, you know, I was told this like a couple years ago. I, I didn't know whether to latch on to it or not, but it, since this person shared this with me, this kind of stuff has been validated. Uh, maybe not for the mainstream, but at least enough for me that from enough different sources that, you know, we're out there, we're exploring, uh, you know, we have technology. That's where the trillions went, Eric. They reverse yeah. engineered. Even Werner von Braun evidently was involved in it. Uh, he helped He helped reverse engineer the, the craft that, that uh, crashed in, in Roswell. And um, we have, we have a, a, lot of, a lot of highly sophisticated technology that's only for military use. And um, they're out there and they're exploring. They know a lot more than, than they allow us to know. So, yeah. And I think it ties into your topic today, um, you know, about the JFK Jr. murder. Evidently, behind the scenes, there was a whole lot going on. And what I stumbled across, which I never heard about before, was the uh, the uh, the Rothschild um, uh, connection to the uh, uh, Kazarian Mafia, which I never heard of. Evidently, they they are an occult. Uh, money-based group. They follow uh, um, money magic from Babylon, and uh, they worship Baal. And I just think it's very interesting that there was a, a statue to Baal erected in uh, New York City someplace uh, within the past few years. And, Seems um, appropriate. 
especially near yeah. Wall Street. I mean, if they yeah. put, if they yeah. put it around it, Wall it, Street, it, yeah, the banking worldwide banking group that runs wars, you know, elects presidents, creates false flag events. I mean, they're just manipulating the entire planet. Yeah, and uh, evidently they were involved in the uh, the JFK murder uh, and the JFK Jr. murder. So uh, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but. I wonder if any, either of you have ever heard of the, the Kazarian Mafia. I never heard of them before. I had not. I no. saw the article that you sent out, but I, I had not heard of them. Um, I think that, that may be the overriding power group. And, and there's a lot of little subgroups yeah. underneath that, like the, Illumin, the Illuminati. I think I think they have subgroups that are in charge of certain areas. Like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think like the Illuminati, I think controlled entertainment and you know those kinds of things, which impact our consciousness. And then overriding all of that, of course, is is the power behind the money. You yeah. Know, the money is money is power. Power is money. It's yeah, kind of all goes together, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I had not heard. I had not heard of that group, but that's not surprising. Evidently, think- yeah. Go ahead. They, they, they. Uh, it's an oligarchical, um, you know, uh, hierarchy. They practice black magic, uh, it, which includes uh, Satanism, child sacrifice, bleeding mm-hmm. them out, and drinking their blood, and I think that I, you know, I think this ties into pedophilia and like the thousands of innocents that disappear across the planet every year yeah. that are never really investigated or reported. It's funny how we tend to forget that. It's kind of funny how we sort of we're just bebopping around in our daily lives and we tend to forget that people go missing every single day and they're never seen again. And it Mm -hmm. was just like it's it's sort of like we have this herd mentality whereas it's like you know, I mean, okay, hey, it didn't happen to me, didn't happen to my family members, didn't happen to anybody in my immediate herd. So, you know, okay, all right. It makes me wonder, Eric, if it doesn't tie into the rep, you know, the reptilians that's that supposedly are uh, you know working in underground bases. Uh, the recent information I read about them is they're 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 not uh, they don't have our interests at heart, and evidently. They're involved in kidnapping and experimentation. They they run the banking empire. And, you know, uh, I mean, I guess no one really likes banks, but I think in, they've really shown their colors in the past 20 years. They're like out of control, taking people's homes and like, creating false accounts and getting caught. And I mean, they do all kinds of uh, underhanded things that just... You mean you know, Wells they're Fargo? Just, they're just not reputable. They don't... They're out of control. And they... No one reigns them in, so I think they they are actually in control. I think the tie the tie in could be this Kazarian mafia and the Rothschild. Where, where does that term? Yeah. You know what the, where the term comes from, Kazarian? What what is that based on? Do you know? Yeah, it goes back uh, I think to the eight hundreds. They were um, it was a small country called Kazaria. Yeah, I guess, and um, uh, they were uh, they became known. To the surrounding countries as thieves, murderers, road bandits, uh, they would assume the identities of the, of the travelers they murdered and infiltrate other countries. And um, evidently the leaders of surrounding countries finally got fed up with it, especially Russia, about 800. Yeah. So they were, they were you know, that's, that's basically where it started. So uh, that, that's about all I know about them. I, mm-hmm. I, like I said, there's a whole book on them that someone wrote that I may read. I don't, I don't know if I want to read it. It may upset me because I'm, yeah. I'm already irritated that so much is known, nothing's done about it. So I, don't, I don't know if I want to put that stuff in my head, too. <laughs> it's, but evidently the Rothschilds uh, yeah. were the front men for the Kazarian Mafia, and they were behind hijacking banking and running the show. But really, 
you think the Rothschilds are the Illuminati and the ones up front, but supposedly there's a power behind the throne there. Mm-hmm. Seems legitimate. I think you can throw the throw the Rockefellers in there too. They absolutely. They, they've got quite a history of that kind of thing. It's well. all incestuous. They're, they're more like the American version of of those boys. It is. It's it's an these are incestuous incestuous organizations that have all intermingled and intermarried and everybody is associated with everybody else and and uh, people often wonder who is it that's in, you know actually control of civilization and society and people say well well Washington and the government I said no <laughs> no I think it's the, I think it's a combination of both the deep state and organized crime and maybe they're both one and the same. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, well, and anybody who challenges them, apparently, um, well, evidently, does, it doesn't end up well for them. Lincoln was also yes. uh, challenged the banking system, and you see how he ended up. Um, and and they always wrap these extraneous details around it to make it look like, um, you know, the guy uh, John John Wilkes Booth was a Southern sympathizer and blah blah blah. Well, that's all nonsense. He 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 was you know he I think they were creating Manchurian candidates even back then. Yeah. To, to do these kinds of things, you know, which is what. Um, you know that that's going to come into the story we're we're talking about today, and it comes into the. I mean, I think Oswald was a Manchurian candidate, and you know the guy that killed RFK. I mean, I think you go right on down the line. I think they're, they're it's it's all a yeah. setup. Yeah. You know that's why Oswald said he was a patsy because he was he was he was set up. So there you go. Yeah. So anybody that challenges, I mean, it's 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 a powerful group of people, and they don't like people messing with him so well you you saw the article it's pretty interesting Walt that the Rothschilds were like seeking revenge because uh Russia interfered and uh, it lost them the American Revolution they they wanted to to win it and then again in the war of 1812 Russians interceded and this allowed Britain from taking America so finally according to this article they got their revenge they by finally getting a foothold in America by starting the Federal Reserve which we know is unconstitutional and uh, really has created havoc with our economy and it's not federal <laughs> no it's so, not, not no, we, we've talked about federal. that before but there's yeah, a goal. yeah I know that's that there's all these insidious things that just Sort of I, yeah, I don't want to go on and they, on. they all funnel into the same. They do. Trough, you know? I just think that Gazarians are worth looking at at some point. Yeah, yeah, that might be a good show. Good yeah. show topic. So that, that's that's all I have for today. I don't want to belabor it because I know you you want to get your teeth into the show, which I'm. Uh, it should be a really interesting one. Do you want to hang out? I, I, Do you want to hang out, Jim? I want to ask you, Jim, um, before you leave. Uh, what? Did you have any insight into um, the potential for JFK Jr. being assassinated, or did you just kind of think, well, it was one of those Kennedy? Because I, you know, I think one of the big things I think with this topic that we're going to do today about JFK Jr. is that people just think that they they believe all the hype that's been put out there. Um, you know, I, over the years, I mean, when that first happened back in the summer of 99, July 16th specifically, yeah. <clears throat> which was one right around the time that I moved to New Hampshire, I, I, I mentioned to a couple people, don't you think that's a little curious that, you know, 
he he would just die like that, you know, given the Kennedy history. And they said, oh, it's the Kennedy curse or, you know, it's just coincidence. And, you know, the Kennedy curse is, I think, trumped up bullshit too. But, um, you know, the Kennedy curse is created. What was your feeling thing. on it before you actually thought about it much? Uh, when it happened, uh, before I was into deeply into what, what we generally refer to as the alternative news segment, uh, I, 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 it just raised a huge question mark for me. I didn't, yeah. I didn't believe it was an accident. I did not. I mean, I didn't know he had plans to run for president. I didn't know all this information we have now about the research he'd done and the information he had on, on Bush and Daddy Bush and all that. But uh, I just, at the time, I just thought that it was bogus. I just said, you know, no way that another one died in a plane accident. Mm -hmm. I just didn't buy. I just didn't buy it. I didn't have yeah, a good feeling about it. I, I agree. But, you know, I, I think that that's still the the overriding viewpoint that most people have is that it was an accident. No. It was a result of him being careless and, you know, all the things that were laid out there. Um, did you get a chance to watch that docu documentary that I sent you by any chance? Yes, I, 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 I had to skim through it yeah, because yeah. I've had a busy week. But, yes, mm -hmm. I got the I got the gist of it. I did. And it was, well, it was, it I thought it was interesting, interesting that that points. guy witnessed the explosion. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get to that today, I think. But um, the, what was interesting in the documentary, and they didn't come out and say it, um, but they at some point they said that um, they referred to the family as a kind of a, in quotes, like the Kennedy family was saying, oh, well, he wasn't a licensed pilot, and which was total, total nonsense. That but, was, that was. But in the documentary, when they said that, when they were talking about the family, referring yeah. to the Kennedy family, right. they put they put Arnold's picture. Up. Oh, yeah, I saw that. What, Did why you see was that? that? Why? Well, he was there. I think what they were saying was he was where the information was coming from. He he was leaking this information that was bogus. See, I thought that he was a, he was in essence a Kennedy at that point. He isn't anymore because he's divorced. But he married into the he's, family. He's, yeah, he married into the family. So in essence, he was part of the Kennedy family by proxy, I guess. But was he? Yeah. Was he leaking disinformation? Yes. yes. Uh, about, okay. about, about John Jr. Uh, I also okay. took okay. that when I was watching the documentary, which we will have a link to um, uh, on the show notes on the Metaphysical Connection, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Uh, I also took that to, as a sort of like a wink and a nod because that was the picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think was uh, taken from a screen capture of the movie True Lies. And I okay. think that that was a nod saying, okay. why, true yes, lies, yeah. you know, why, yes, you know, the, these are, quote, true lies. Okay. And well, that's, that, that's what I took it to mean. That yeah. He was the one that was, because they never specified the family member. They just said the information came from the family. Okay. Well, okay. What does that mean? You know, they're alluding to the fact that it's a Kennedy family member. I got you. And and they're putting out yeah. this stream of you know total yeah. nonsense about JFK Jr.'s yeah. piloting ability and the fact that he was a daredevil and all the things that you would put out there to make it look like you know he was the he was the reason why the accident happened because of his approach to things. Yeah. And it, and this guy totally blows all that stuff out of the water. When you say this guy, we are talking about the um, the man who created two documentaries, uh, Dark Legacy and Dark Legacy 2, um, uh, John Hankey. And John Hankey, John Hankey has a lot of weird stuff to share with us. We got to get him on the show. I tried to 
find him. I couldn't couldn't find much about him. Um, but yeah, that'd be great if we could. He's if he's still around. Yeah, that would be a great guess. He's done. Uh, he, I I actually have a synopsis of that documentary, a written synopsis. Read it out by a guy by a name guy guy named Christopher Condon. He 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 wrote up. So it's 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 pretty interesting. You know when you. Because you can go back and sort of review all the all the particulars that way. Yeah, it's I, not. I, I can send that to you. If it's you not want. not surprising, Walt and Eric, that people buy into the stuff that's put out. I mean, if you just look at what's going on today, how what a handhold they have on the younger generation with their c- cell phones. Uh, there were the, I didn't want to get into this last article. I'll save it, but it talks about how they they manipulate what a billion people are thinking every day, and they they, they have the technology to do it, and they prove that they can do it. And yes. um, you know, so Tavistock, it all t- Tavistock yes, Institute. There you go. It all ties hey, together. Before you leave, Jim, I got a shout out um, from from a past show for for you and Eric. Wow. Um, I just saw that they're coming out with a new Mickey Mouse Club. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a modern version. Yeah. Uh, well, wait, it's, it's, wait. They're trying to hook the. They're trying to hook the current teenagers, I guess. Back and, up, to, back up. I've got a blockbuster for you. Okay. For the, go ahead. For the month of August, there's a toll-free number you can call at Disney World for little kids to talk to Mickey, so he encourages them to go to sleep at night. Nice. Sounds awesome. Oh yes. gosh. I'm gonna call. I think I'm gonna call. It's all tied in, man. And before I sign off, Do you I have that number, in. Jim. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I saw it on. T- it was on TV. I didn't capture. Let's, let's it. see if we should. We, we should. should probably could probably Google it. But before There's probably I some coded message in it. Like, <laughs> Drink your Ovaltine. It's embedded in it, like kill mommy and daddy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Buy all of the Disney toys. <laughs> all right, guys. I- I'll see you in the next. I'll catch you on the next time. Okay, Jim. Thanks. See you guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. Yep. All right. So, Eric, we got to get that recording, man. We got to get that Mickey Mouse recording. We do. I will definitely call in. So yeah, you got you got to get that. We'll we'll put that on the show next time. Yep. So what we're gonna see if, see if you can play it backwards and get any kind of um, like Beatlesque message. I'm your good pal, uh, Mickey Mouse. Your parents' wallet and get their <laughs> debit card and send the numbers to Mickey. Be sure to get the numbers on the back, kids. Right. Get, get you me. Say, yeah, you sound a little bit like Mickey Mouse. Here. Oh, pretty good. That's one of your better imitations, I would say. Why? I've had years. See, now I can't do it because <laughs> years of practice. Because the thing is, when I say something evil in the Mickey Mouse voice, you know, it sounds too, too much of a conflict. It does. I want you to kill your parents for me, kids, and send me all their money. And I want you to sacrifice yourself to Goofy. I mean, Lord Ball. <laughs> send me money and I'll send you naked pictures of Minnie. <laughs> I remember. Uh, you probably have to cut that out. Yeah. So I think what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to retank, refuel. And uh, we're going to get into uh, me. I mean, every time I think this is the craziest conspiracy theory. We will ever do on the show, and then there's then there's Walt who says, "Hold my beer." <laughs> oh, you think so? Right? Yeah, I think that's yeah, what you it's, do. It's it's amazing because I you know I always in the back of my mind I always kind of suspected there was something at yeah. work, and then when I started looking into, like, oh my god, there's, you know, you you well, let's let's take a break. And All right.
Walt comes up with an idea for a show. And usually, a, usually a brilliant one, I might add. I, but you have had some clinkers in the past, I think. Oh, okay. I'll, I, I'll, I'll admit to that. Um, I think that the one where, um, oh, what's what's the name of the guy who used to sing um, um, uh, "Tip Toe Through the Tulips"? Tiny Tim. I think mm-hmm. I think that you, the the show that you wanted to do, proving that Tiny Tim was a member of the Illuminati. I think that that was one that I'm glad that I, I pulled the plug on that one. you know but i don't think that you have ever and in all seriousness and i mean this i don't think that you have ever made a suggestion for a show that i said um no no we're not we're not doing that one i don't think that you've ever come up with a bad idea for a show um but this is the one topic where i wish i had said jesus walt i don't think i could do this one because i i know that this is going to consume me and this is going to take up so much of my time i i just can't do it i can't do it and i wish i had said that because the on when you talk about the topic of the the jfk assassination we're going to call the one that happened for the sake of this show for the sake of this show we are going to refer to the assassination on november 22nd 1963 we're going to refer to that as the JFK Senior assassination. The JFK Junior assassination is the one where JFK Junior lost his life under mysterious circumstances, which we are going to explore in this show. And right. well, now you have to back up a second here, yeah, because a lot of people. I think are going to bristle when they hear. And I think this may be one of our most controversial. Oh, I'm sure that there are going to be people who say that Mm. we're full of crap and we've crossed a line. And I totally believe it. Yeah. And there's people that still, you know, I've had friends that I said, you know, don't don't you think there was a little bit suspect that he just happened to, you know, crash his plane into the ocean being a Kennedy and all, you know, and they say, Oh no, no, he, you know, they believe the line of rhetoric that was put out there to to make make it look like it was an you know not primarily an accident necessarily but it was his fault yeah. that it happened um, and we're going to get into talking about that yeah but initially um, I think there's going to be people that are just in their mind they're saying nah he you know that's not that's not possible he wasn't this was not a hit this was this was just a bad tragic accident so yeah but that's probably a good place to start as to to why we think that that's not the case yeah so um. You know, and and you know the, the the second part of it is that there was such a huge media cover up of the whole thing. Yeah, you know, which which is again very suspect as to why that would be. If it was in fact as they said it was, you know that that he was just reckless and you know didn't really know how to fly that plane well yeah. enough, and he had to fly. He didn't know how to fly with instruments and all the stuff that you've heard over the years. Which you know, if you listen to it on the surface, it, it does kind of make sense, right? Um, but when you start really looking into it, which you know both you and I did, since I inundated you with multiple documents and, which and there was a really good documentary that, that i sent to you so. and which i had and you mentioned, did your own research i'm sure and which i had mentioned earlier um in an earlier show when <clears throat> walt sends me documents um and i don't think that the documents themselves uh are if they're if they're links to websites and the websites do not meet the standard of longevity like i think that they could be taken down at any time or mm-hmm. the, the the reading quality i have been um 
dragging and dropping the text and the pictures into HTML documents on the Fedora Chronicles website. Just go to fedorachronicles.com slash library and you will find a whole bunch of documents that I have copied and saved onto our server because so many times, Walt, we have mentioned a document or we have mentioned a web page and people go back and they see it and it's been taken down like news items or whatever news stories other people just forgot to pay their bill for the website and that's the end of it um with all of that said is that you have sent articles to jim and i and text files to jim and i that we have saved and there is this growing mountain of evidence that leads me to believe that his death was not an accident. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that where, how far do you go back and say, this is why JFK was killed? This is why JFK Jr. was killed? Mm-hmm. Well, they're connected. They're, they're connected. They're clearly, you know, there's one is an extension of the other, in, in my mind, anyway. Now, you had sent me a link to... Um, a conversation between this gentleman by the name of True Ott and uh, John Hankey. Is John Hankey really his name? Um, I, I know that he has an Amazon uh, page uh, that has all of the documents and all the books and, and documentaries mm-hmm. that, he's, that he's done. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it is. And the thing At least is, that's, his, that's what he goes by anyway. And that through this correspondence, we first it learned. It seems a little hanky to me. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so through the conversation that John Hankey and True Ott had, True Ott may not also be his actual real name, but we'll get to that later. According to True Ott, who is this health food guru in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, or the area. I, thought it was, I think it's Utah. Oh, Utah. Okay, Utah. Utah. The file apparently came from somebody in Las Vegas. The, the original manila envelope, we'll get oh, to yes, that. Oh, that, yes, that's correct. Came that's from correct. somebody in Las Vegas, gave it to True Ott, and, and he said, if anything should happen to me, I want you to open up this manila folder, and I want you to get it in the hands of somebody to help me expose this story. And Truat didn't even think about opening it. He didn't want to open it because he knew that it was a Pandora's box. Once he looked inside this envelope, he knew it was going to change his life for the better or for the worst. Well, the guy actually had a stroke and was not doing very well. So he called called his wife, I think, and, and said, you know, your husband left this file with me, told me to, you know, put it somewhere safe. And, and now, you know, he's, I guess he was on the edge of um, going over to the other side. and, and Yeah, uh, he was on his deathbed. He said, what do you want me to do with it? She said, oh, just get rid of it. Just destroy it. So I think he, he at that point, decided, well, you know, maybe I'll take a look and see what's in there. Right. And and as you said, it was, in fact, a Pandora's box. He opened it information. up. And this is going to be referred to as the gemstone file number five right mm-hmm. and we and we and we talked about this in in the, the in the preview that i published is that this document or this folder contained photocopies or photostats there's a difference between a photocopy and a photostat photostat is the photocopy technology that they had in the 60s and the 70s the precursor mm-hmm. of the standard photocopy it had to have a special paper and all like that and um 
it's all these travel vouchers and receipts and ticket stubs and all of this other evidence that led that the, the this is the evidence that proved that there was a second assassin to the Kennedy assassination. The, this is all the stuff that the person had collected who was probably one of the assassins or the spotter at one of the other shooting locations, this one of the shooter locations in Daly Plaza in Dallas, Texas, November 22nd, 1963. Mm-hmm. And it was it was triangulated. There were actually three three locations. There's three locations. Yeah. And um so th- so um the part of the other the other part of the story is that true Ott somehow and this is all documented in the documents that we have on the Federal Chronicles that this guy, True Ott, was somehow able to get in touch with John Kennedy Jr. And John Kennedy Jr. got a copy of this. He had a he had lengthy conversations with True Ott. And John F. Kennedy Jr. never believed in the Warren Commission. He never believed that it was one person who shot his father. For reasons that I think that we will get to in an either either in this show or another part of the show. And John Kennedy had a magazine. Some, some people don't remember this. John Kennedy had a magazine named George, which is a very unusual name for a magazine. A lot of people... Do you, do you think? It's a pretty weird name for a magazine, George. Yeah, I, thought, I even thought that at the time. Like, why was he naming it that, you know? Why would JFK um, Jr. name his magazine George? Right. And he said that it was... <laughs> in part a nod to George Washington. In the inaugural issue of George Magazine, there's a picture of Cindy Crawford wearing a George Washington costume with a powdered wig and all and, and, right. and all of like right. that. And a lot and the thing is is that this was this was an amazing magazine. I thought at the time it was a combination of Vogue, Vogue for men, um uh Better Homes and Gardens, Esquire, um, all the magazines that you could possibly think of. It had it had a little bit of everything, but it also but, got... But with an intelligent approach. With a very intelligent approach. Right. And um, he had one issue, the conspiracy theory issue, and he had an interview with uh, Oliver Stone. Oliver mm-hmm. Stone made that great controversial movie about Jim Garrison's investigation into Clay Shaw and the trial and uh, with the evidence that Clay Shaw um, was one of the co-conspirators in the JFK assassination. And and it, Jim Garrison brought all these things to life, like the, the whole connection with Dave Ferry and Operation Mongoose and um, all of these... Uh, Things that we take for granted, if you're a JFK assassination conspiracist, theorist, Jim Garrison is the one who brought all of these to light. And the work that Jim Garrison did has been picked up by people like Jim Mars and all these other people. And uh, so the thing is, is that Oliver Stone had said, look, this is this is this is what you're supposed to get out of the JFK movie. This is what this is what happened to your dad, John. This was sort of of a further um, illumination of where he was trying to go with with the JFK movie. Right. I have not read the article, but um, it's hard to read. It's hard to read. Have you read? I have the I have the PDF and it's up on our server. 
on the Fedora oh, Chronicles. Okay, I have not read that because the magazine still you can still get the magazine. There's there's actually quite a few copies of those available. Yeah. On e- on eBay. Yeah. Um, there were there was also another article that he published that was very controversial. It was about um, the um, Israeli uh, Secret Service Mossad. Yeah. Is it the Mossad? Uh, taking out the uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, who, who was very, yeah. very progressive. Um, was it Shimon Perez or I thought I uh, thought it was Hipshot Levine. Uh, that doesn't sound right, but uh, we'll have to look that could, up. Anyway. Could, it's, it's one of these, <clears> but it was a very controversial article at the time. Yeah. And um, believe it or not, <laughs> some of those guys were actually in New York City the the day that. Um, JFK went down. JFK Jr. went yeah. down. So kind of an interesting sidelight. Right. There's a lot of things in these articles um, that were published in George Magazine. And mm-hmm. it was, in retrospect, I think that we really missed out on a great opportunity. I wish that we had read and collected those um, those issues because he talked about a lot of things that um, you and I talk about on a regular basis. Not the paranormal and the supernatural, but a lot of things about the conspiracy theories, the deep state, who's really in charge of the country. He talked mm-hmm. a lot about yeah, he, that. He was, he was definitely intent on bringing those things to light. He, he, his intention was much more than just a, a glamour magazine. Yeah. You know, he, he definitely had some. And, you know, you got to figure this is a guy that on his third birthday – Actually, on his birthday, stood and watched his father's casket go by. Yeah, in 1963. Nice, nice birthday party, huh? His, his. Um, you know, there's, there's that famous picture of him saluting as, yeah. the, as the, you know, his father goes by. So this is a guy that had a lot to. <laughs> he, he had he had a lot of uh, angst. Yeah. You know about the about this event. And, by the way, and he I was am... he was really he. I think he dedicated his life to try to prove that it was more than what it, what the Warren Commission said it was. You know, I think that's what he uh, kind of dedicated his life to that. And his magazine was a was a forum for that. I I believe anyway. I want he to really came yeah. out and said that. I don't think. I want to interject here. Mm. I get very emotional when I think about JFK's funeral on on John Jr.'s birthday. Mm-hmm. I, I get very emotional when I think about that. I get very emotional when I think about somebody who grew up a very well-adjusted young man. Thanks to his mother. And his mother did everything that she could to make sure that he had a normal life. Mm-hmm. This is the woman who was sitting next to her husband. They were they were working through their marital troubles. They went to Dallas. It was supposed to be a happy occasion. And um, her husband died. Her husband was brutally murdered while sitting right next to her. As soon as yeah, she and, saw and, what and happened. And JFK Jr. Never, he, he never got to know his father. You know, he never knew him. He, he had a vague memory of him, I guess. But and before, you know, the only thing he knows about him is what's been written. Yeah, and, and his own father's writings. And um, she had the forethought to get crawl to the trunk of the car and pick up pieces of her husband's body for the autopsy. And this is according to the Secret Service agent, and we'll have the link to the video, who said she wanted to make sure that she, and she knew, she knew where the shot came from. She had said to anybody who would listen where the other shot came from. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the woman who had the forethought to not spoil her children, to raise them up to be proper, decent adults who would contribute to society. And not, she didn't give them a pass. Yeah, boo-hoo, your father died. 
Yeah. No, no, she didn't. She didn't. To, to her, much to her credit. And by all accounts, JFK Jr. was a, was a pretty decent guy. He he had a lot of friends. He you know he treated people very civilly. And you know, of course, he's John Kennedy's son, so there's going to be X amount of notoriety around right. him. Um, and paparazzi and all that stuff, but you know, by all intents and by all accounts, um, you know, he 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 didn't have a huge ego. He he was a regular guy. He would just try to do stuff that regular people would do, and and try to stay out of the um, spotlight in terms of doing stupid things. You know, a lot yeah. of celebrities do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, he was a you know he was clearly. Um, the quintessential bachelor of, of that particular time. You sure. know, he was he was he was really nice looking. He was he had a had a very he was very articulate. He had a you know he he had a, just a, a really calm way about him. You know, yeah. even in in circumstances that would lend themselves to being you know to get him excited, he apparently could remain very calm. Right, which sort of plays in later when they talk about you know the reasons why he he crashed. Um, but you know, there all accounts of him are you know, the fact that he was a perfect, he was going to end up being a perfect political candidate. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he had it all. He, you know, he had the, had, the, he, he had the looks, he had the, you know, he had the breeding, he had the background, he had, he had all the pieces, you know, all, all that remained was for him to, to start moving in that direction, which, which by um, some people's accounts that know him, he was moving in that direction. So this is, you know, this is what sort of opened the door, I think, to, to this whole, this whole tragedy. Yeah. And, you know, I can remember sitting there the day that I, that it happened when they were doing this, what turned out to be a bogus search, I think. Yeah. Um, and sitting there thinking, oh my God, we just, we just lost the last possible heir to Camelot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. He, he, he was, he was the only one that could have really carried on what his, what his father and his, and his uncle and his whole family were really trying to do. And that's to make America the kind of place that works for everybody. Yeah. There you go. So I I was, it was very depressing to sit there and watch that actually. Just disheartening actually. Yeah. So um, anyway, let's let's get back to what we think actually might have happened. Well. So um, getting back to to True Ott and this information that that he, so he uh, met with, it was was an unrelated topic, I think. I think George wanted to do an article about him. Yeah. Because he was considered a guru in the in the health food industry, yes, which was probably just burgeoning at that point in time. Yes, this is ninety nine now, so so there was a lot of interest in that in terms of that, and that's the kind of stuff that John Kennedy was interested, I think, in putting in the magazine. So he met with the editor um, of George Magazine, and they you know they had dinner together, and they were talking about what the article would be about, and blah blah blah. And he just happened to bring up this um, gemstone file. Yeah. He, he mentioned it by name and the guy, the editor must have known about it or had heard of it yeah. or something. So his, his jaw hit the table and said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he explained it, you know, what we talked about that he had copies of these things. So he, he had the they didn't even, they didn't envelope, even finish yeah. their dinner. They, they, they were eating in a nice restaurant. I guess they had had their salad and he said, let's take the dinner with us. I want to see this. And he took him to his office and he showed it to him. And um, apparently he took it with him and uh, gave it to John Jr., John Kennedy Jr. And uh, he was amazed. By yeah, it. there it is. 
There it is. Yeah, here's what I've been looking for. Here's the smoking gun. So he contacted Drew Ott and he tried to pay him for it. And to his credit, he said, no, he didn't want any money. I think he offered him 50000 or something. Something like that. An something. obscene amount of money for... At that time, yeah, at that particular time, yeah. What is uh, essentially a envelope full of receipts and vouchers and ticket stubs and mm-hmm. pretty much what a lot of people would consider trash. Yeah. So in the, in the, in the communication between Truwatt and JFK Jr., JFK Jr. said, this is what I've been looking for. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now that George Bush Sr. is going to be indicted yeah. by the grand jury. So I don't know whether he had that in the works. It certainly sounded like he did. Um, I tried to do a search of that. I couldn't find anything. It's probably been squashed. Right. If, if it, I mean, you know, again, this is somewhat of a conjecture, I guess. But um, if you believe what what Truat says is true. Right. Um, take it all within then, a and take all of this at face value. This is what Truat claims to what he what he had. And mm-hmm. his conversation with John Jr. Take it all at that va- that value. This is what he claims happened, and mm-hmm. and go from there. Exactly. So this is right around the time that Kennedy um, was going to Martha's Vineyard, taking his wife and his his wife's sister, sister in law, to to Martha's Vineyard um, for a wedding. One of his cousins, I think, was getting married. Yeah. And now now he had made this trip. Just as a sideline, sideline, he had made this trip eight times that summer. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was, you know, a, a route that he was unfamiliar with. So he knew all the navigational directions and all the things that he needed to do to, you know, to get to where he needed to go. And it's not really a very long trip, I don't think. No. I think it's what like a couple of hours or maybe, yeah, something like that. It's you know, by plane, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty short. He left, he left from Caldwell, New Jersey, which is the airport where he where he kept his plane. Um, so by all accounts, he was, you know, he was going to be using this material to, to create a, an article or a series of articles. And, and it seems like a, a major case um, against H.W., George, you know, George H.W. And uh, yeah. so um, he takes off um, from Caldwell, New Jersey at around dusk. Uh, now this is another interesting point of view, which which really doesn't make too much sense until you get into the particulars of of the events, um, which we'll we'll get to eventually. Yeah. But so um, JFK Jr. picks up his sister in law um, and arrives at the airport at around seven thirty, um, waiting for Carolyn to arrive. She was coming separately for for whatever reason. So she shows up at 745, um, and you would think, you know, they would do check-in, do whatever they needed to do, and take off. Well, no. They, they waited around for 45 minutes yeah. for no apparent reason. Um, and as it's getting dark, and, you know, it was, getting, it was kind of um, – wasn't it wasn't an overcast night because by all accounts you could still see part of the moon so it was it was somewhat hazy i guess which which was used later on to to try and make it look like that was part of the reason why it happened um so they sat around for 45 minutes for no apparent reason until they finally took off at 8 30. so you kind of have to ask yourself well what was going on with that you know but that that's kind of explained later on so okay so they do take off and um you know, everything's going routinely until um, it's not. <laughs> until something so, happens. Uh, something happens. Something, and the plane. Some, something horrible happened. Right. At that point. 
So you want to take it from there? So <laughs> no pressure, Eric, no pressure. No, uh, and for whatever reason, the plane, according to all the, the, the data that has been gathered and is, has been published, the plane, for whatever reason, just falls right out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And, and after the plane falls out of the sky and there's no search, there's no search party. Um, 15 hours for 15 hours. They didn't do a search and the, th- and the, uh, uh, one of JFK's cousins had called and, and, you know, called the coast guard and said, JFK's plan- plane has not, um, had not arrived yet. And there was, this is, this was Carolyn's, um, I think Carolyn's sister's, uh, friend or something. Right. Who also was a Kennedy cousin. Um, they were actually waiting at the airport. There were a lot of him, people who were for, waiting at for the them airport to, for them to touch down because you know they yeah. were they were waiting for her to arrive, yeah. And he, they never showed up, so they reported it almost immediately. Like, what's going on here? The plane's supposed to be here. They knew roughly when you know around right. nine thirty was when they were supposed to be there. Like around the time um, when it I was guess like, that would make it about an hour. Then it was yeah. really about an hour. They had they were waiting and the plane didn't show up and and they right. they they called the tower. They called everybody who was mm-hmm. involved. There were. You know, air air traffic control, and apparently, air traffic control had had been monitoring um, his flight and all the other flights that were that were in the area and all the air traffic. And there was apparently there wasn't anything unusual about this plane just up and disappearing. Fifteen well, it was, twenty it was on minutes. Its, it was on its final approach. It was on its final, it was on its final approach. approach. And, and he was sudden, coming in. Yeah. Um, there's there's actually some kind of a protocol when you get to a certain I think a certain amount of miles away from the airport. You call in and tell them, you know, who you are and what your what your intentions are. And you request and, a land. You know, right. And there's a there's also a protocol that you have to be um, at twenty five hundred feet yeah. when you when you make this call when you're approaching the airport. He was actually at twenty two hundred feet, but he brought the plane back up again, which which is indicates that he was a very particular pilot. Yeah. I mean he knew he knew what he was doing. So he did that. He brought the plane back up and he called in um, at least the initial reports <laughs> yeah. say that he called in at exactly 9.39 and said who he was, that he was landing on, um, where was it, on on Martha's Vineyard? No, he was heading toward Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. He had a stop before that where he was going to drop the sister-in-law off, which I guess was on Cape Cod. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that he would be landing in X amount of time. And, and the initial reports were, and it, this is, this is recorded. This is actually on a news clip from channel eight, I believe, which I think is a Boston station. Yeah. Um, yeah. WCRV guy, W um, yeah. Channel five WCRV, because that was the channel that I was watching as everything unfolded because Chet, one of the anchor men, Chet, was also um, a licensed pilot. Oh, so he was kind of using his experience or whatever. Yeah. So there, so there was a, a guy that was interviewed. Um, his name was Todd Bergen. Yeah, uh, he was a Coast Guard petty officer who who did in fact confirm that Kennedy called into the tower at nine thirty nine. Yeah. Well, and that was the exact time. So the only way that he could have known that was he had to have been in contact with the FAA people who were in the tower that would have given the exact time. That's the only way he would have known that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> however, after a bit, that that report was from Todd Bergen was 
espunged from the record. It, it was yeah. like it never happened. And and he disappeared. Nobody could figure out what happened to him. He was relieved of his duty. And the the next story was that he never called into the tower. They, they never heard from him, which was the beginning of what was to become the cover-up of the whole, yeah. of, of all the incidences. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, now, there's a whole litany of things that they put out there to kind of make it look like it was his fault that this happened. Now, yeah. now keep in mind that this this plane was brand new. You know, it was what like two months old. I think it was. A, it was. Uh-huh. It was really uh, very. Uh, uh, yeah, it was very new. It was so new. I don't want to jump the gun here. It was so mm-hmm. new that JFK Jr. did something that a responsible pilot would do. Do I want to spoil this, or do you want do you want to go ahead and continue on? Well, let, yeah, let's put that on hold for a second. Okay. Let's, we'll, we'll get to that. When that, that explains the 45-minute lag time back at the airport. Um, but some of the things that came out. Um, now, in the documentary, we were talking about this with Jim, that in the documentary, they didn't come out and say it, but when they were talking about the, now the family supposedly put this information out, and it's misinformation, clearly. But on the documentary, they showed a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, in fact, at that point, was a family member. Right. Was, he was married gone. to Maria Schreiber. But uh, to me, they were alluding in the documentary that Arnold might have been the source of this this information. Also, keep they in didn't mind, say it. Also, keep in mind that this that. was, I think, the, the picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger was taken from uh, the movie True Lies. Right. Which I don't know. I don't know if that further was, enforces that concept. Right. Um, so one of the things they said that he was lost. Well, yeah. that's clearly not the case. He had a high-tech, state-of-the-art airplane. And, you know, they also said that he um, didn't know how to, he didn't, he didn't know how to navigate uh, with instruments. He yeah. hadn't, he hadn't learned that yet. Um, and that's where the weather came into it. They yeah. said that the, that the visibility was very poor when in fact there was an eight mile visibility. That's, that's documented. Yeah. Uh, which is well within the realm of still being able to fly without instruments. So that's another false statement. Um, he clearly had been learning to use instruments, even if he needed them. He didn't need them in this particular case. Yeah. He'd had a number of hours of instructional time. Um, and, and he had, I think, over 400 hours in the air yeah. of, of flying time. You know, so he, he, was, he was in a category where he could have been um, a flight instructor. That, that's, that's how much flying time he had. So he was not a novice pilot by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. This airplane was new to him. Yeah. But, um, and there were some things on it that he didn't necessarily um, know how to use all the bells and whistles. But what he did to compensate for that was what, Eric? Well, this is this is where we come in with a flight instructor. This is where, because the thing is, is that this will, this will take us back to before JFK Jr. took off from. Yes. Uh, and the thing is, is that there were so many eyewitnesses or so many people who knew knew John Jr., knew how meticulous he was, knew mm-hmm. about how concerned he was about safety. And he was recovering from a broken ankle, I guess. Yes. And he just had the cast removed. And mm-hmm. um, he had he hired a flight instructor who was well-versed in his brand new plane. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the reasons why they waited so long to take off the night of the tragedy is because they were waiting for his flight instructor. At least that's a conjecture. That's a conjecture. Now, if you back up a little bit from there, he had never flown that plane without a flight instructor. Right. It was. It, it never happened. The the afternoon of, of this doomed flight, he had lunch with his editor, and the, the guy expressed concern about his, his ankle, which really does not really impact his ability to fly the plane, but it was just something that he was concerned of. And he said to John, well, what about, you know, what about your ankle? And he said, that's okay, I got it covered. I've got a flight instructor yeah. that's going to go with me. So he stated that. To, to, and that's I, that's a witness. I mean, the guy right. the guy sat there and heard that. So how, how do you <laughs> how do you figure that? You know that he yeah. wouldn't he, that he would take off never having done it before without a without a flight instructor on board. So this this plays into the, the later circumstances. So so go okay go from there. I just wanted to put that in there. So then the thing is, is that there's, and this is the most controversial part of the tragedy, I believe, because you had uh, many people who came forward and said, and I cannot remember the name of the author who wrote the book, America's Son, which is about his working relationship with John Kennedy. He's Mm -hmm. the same guy who had the conversation with him at lunch saying, hey, look, I'm really concerned about you. And JFK Jr. said, don't worry about it. I I have a flight instructor. And and apparently there were four people on that airplane, John Kennedy, his wife, his sister-in-law and the flight instructor. The flight instructor's Mm -hmm. name, we, we, we don't know. You do. A, we, we don't even, in fact, know if he really was a legitimate flight instructor. We don't know. Um, we, 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 we really, it, and this is a big, huge black hole for information. We have no mm-hmm. idea whether or not you go, but we don't even know if there was a flight instructor or not. You do a search, JFK Jr. flight instructor, and there are all these articles that pop up saying JFK Jr. refused flight instructor's help. Ten mistakes JFK Jr. made talking about how he did not have a flight instructor. Um, there were a lot of people who were just saying there. And then you you have all these people who say, no, he refused the help of a flight instructor. And then you have other people who said he had. Yes, he did have a, a, a flight instructor. We just don't know who it was. And that but there's no missing persons report. There's no there's no name associated. So the thing is, is that this is a huge thing of conjecture because there are so many people who insisted that with John Kennedy, John Jr.'s state of health at the time, his, his, his well-being, um, his concerns about his not being able to operate the brand new plane properly. Um, a lot of people doubt the, doubt the validity of these rumors or these, quote, facts that he refused a flight instructor's help. So you have well, two, it, you have two extreme essence, sides to this. The the NTSB, the, the um, National Transportation Safety Board, for those who don't know the initials, um, put out a report a year after the event. Yeah. Um, and in that report, they had an affidavit from a flight instructor named Robert Marina, um, who in fact was one of Kennedy's flight instructors who had taken other um, flights with him, done other flights with him. Um, and he he apparently had told them um, that he offered to fly with Kennedy. Yeah. And uh, Kennedy turned him down and um, said that he wanted to do it alone. Uh, now this came out of nowhere. They they elicited this 
affidavit from this guy who who's stating and and what that does essentially is makes makes kennedy look like any john kennedy jr look like a, a reckless person yeah you know which apparently he was not in terms of his flying anyway he, he was very meticulous um he did everything by the book you know from everything that everybody says about him you know the that had any dealings with his flight. Yeah, I mean, he was he wanted to fly from the time he was very young. Right. And he he studied flying, and he and he had, like I said, he had multiple hours in the air. So, this this is not a guy that was a novice or or did you know did uh, not follow the the proper procedures of what you were supposed to do. You know, another another thing that came out or that was put out was that he um, wasn't wasn't able to control the plane. You know that it went because when he was coming in, um, he called he called into the tower you know, initially anyway, from what the reports were at nine thirty nine. Well, and everything was was fine on the radar. He was exactly where he should have been. The plane was in the exact position it should have been in to approach the you know to to do its final approach. And one of the things they says said was that he had to make a steep turn. To, to get lined up with the with the run or the, you know with the airport correctly and that's just not true he was in, according to the radar he was in perfect position to to do his final approach so that's another piece of garbage that they put out there and it's all it's all rhetoric leading up to to try and make it look like his, it was his fault that it happened and uh, you know it's just it just goes on and on and on um, there was just all these things and, and you know I have to say when I heard it, it sounded credible. I don't know about you. Do you do you remember hearing that stuff when it came out? <sighs> yes and no. Yes and no. I I don't know if whether or not I you know I I remember hearing them and I just sort of like discounted it or because the thing is 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 that it sounds crazy. All of it. It's it sounds what you does. what of you said just sounds crazy. And the thing is, is that it gets back to the whole thing where it's is like all these people say, everybody who knew him said he was a very conscientious pilot. He was hyper sensitive when it came to the issue of flight safety. All of his flight instructors had glowing reports about him and how he was he was goal oriented or he was step oriented he did everything by the book mm-hmm. he was the exactly. model he was the model student and and so then there was really no indication that he would have taken this approach there's just no way no if you listen to the people who knew him including his flight instructors the stories that came afterwards make absolutely no sense at all what happened? Go ahead, Walt. Well, um, here's another another thing. Um, you know, they, they had all of these different things that they laid out, you know, that the weather conditions were, were poor. Um, and then he's, you know, he knew that and he discarded that information, just said he was going to fly anyway, which is which is absolutely not the case. Um, they, they said that he wasn't able to use the instruments properly. Well, actually, as I said earlier, he had eight mile visibility, wouldn't have needed to use the instruments. Yeah. So that's not even valid in terms of the circumstances. And the radar um, at that, you know, which they have records of, indicated that it was not a, not a particularly hazy night. I mean, it was hazy, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary that you're going to, I mean, you know, you're, you're flying into Cape Cod. It's going to be somewhat hazy in the summer. 
you know. Um, he had, um, they said he had only 40 hours of flying experience, which was totally not correct. He had, he had over 300 hours. I think I said 400, but it's actually 300. He had 40 um, hours worth of, of driving experience with this plane alone. That's, yes, that's what yes, I gathered. Right. Um, and the 300 hours was enough to qualify him to be a commercial pilot. Right. And he had, in fact, taken the test. Um, the written test and the physical actual flying test to get certified to use the instruments. The, the only thing he, and he passed both, the only thing he didn't have was enough flying hours, uh, you know, to qualify for having, inst- to be able to fly on instruments. Right. Um, but which is why he would have taken the flying instructor with him, because that's why he always took a flying instructor was because, um, you know, that was would add more to his hours of supervised yeah. flying time with instruments. So that made perfect sense. But, you know, plus the fact that, you know, he's, he's got his wife and, and sister-in-law with him. Yeah. And his wife he, may have take, been pregnant, take a too. chance on, on doing anything with, with them. And you allegedly know? his wife was also pregnant. That's right. That's that's so it's said. That's not that's not validated, but it could be. Who knows? They were certainly probably in the process of that. Of, of getting having a child but who knows that's if your wife was pregnant thing. if his wife was pregnant why would he take so many risks exactly there's no well, reason why he had to take those point. risks. i mean damn it i mean i mean he he was john kennedy jr it's not that he was you know lacking for money it's not taking a limo to, from from coldwell new jersey to martha's vineyard it wouldn't have been that you know, that much longer, probably. But I, I think he was confident that everything was, you know, up and up. So I don't know. You know, it's 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 hard to it's hard to make any kind of a case other than the fact that something happened that is very weird. You know, that that doesn't really go along with the facts that are known about him and his his approach to, to being a pilot. Another thing is that uh, they, they said that he did not submit a flight log, which is totally unlike him. He, he yeah. submitted a flight log, according to the records, for every other flight that he ever everyone except for this one where that where he lost his life right he didn't he didn't file a flight plan (laughs) for his last flight flight plan it would have said who was on board the airplane which would have included the flight instructor and that's that's a very that's to me that's the very big piece of this whole thing really um because according to the radar he you know he was going along fine he was at the right altitude he had the right orientation to the to the approach to the to the airport and at 9:39 he called in and said everything you know he told him what he was going to do he was very calm no you know no indication of any kind of problems with anything and by 9:40 he was he was taking a, a dive at 200 miles an hour into the ocean took took 45 seconds for him to go down um, so it just doesn't make any sense. And and another thing, when they recovered, the, when they did recover the aircraft, we haven't even gotten into the, to, the, to the whole search aspect of it. Yeah. Um, when they did finally recover the airport or the uh, airplane, his duffel bag, which numerous people ha- said he had an Akram Marine duffel bag that he always kept on the aircraft, which had all the essentials in it, including the flight log, which would have indicated that there was a flight instructor on board 
was missing was was not um, not retrieved. Everything else, you know, I don't I don't know if they got everything else, but that was certainly not on on the airplane. And another thing which was curious is that the passenger seat, which would have been the seat next to him, which is where the flight instructor would have been sitting, was also not in the plane. So, yeah, that that's <laughs> that's another piece of evidence. So you know, there's just so much there that just doesn't add up. If you put if you put all the pieces together and get past what the what the company line is on the whole thing. Now, the, the second part of it is what happened in the aftermath of the crash. Um, between there's discrepancies between the, the, in the timeline between when he was reported missing to when they actually started the search. Like what it took them 15 hours mm-hmm. to conduct the the, the the first search to dispatch and apparently there were a lot of calls um that was made by one of the by kennedy's cousin she you know she 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 started the whole thing because she like we said she had been at the airport so she knew that there was something wrong you know that they didn't they didn't arrive something happened she she didn't know what but um so she got she tried to get a hold of the faa couldn't get anywhere with them they you know, I don't know. They stonewalled her somehow. They 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 didn't. They either didn't return a call, or they didn't give her any information, or or they just said they had to wait X amount of time or something to start the search. So she got frantic and called um, Teddy. Yeah, you know, Uncle Teddy, and he was trying to get through to Ted people. Kennedy, who was a senator <laughs> at, a, a sitting at the senator, time. Right? Yeah, at the time, you would think he would get some action. You know, you'd think or be able to get some action. So he he made all kinds of calls, couldn't get anywhere, um, and ended up calling John Podesta, who was Clinton's chief of staff at the time. Um, We know him well from the from the Hillary years. Um, And he put in a call to Clinton, who was president at the time. um, I think it's 7 a.m. now. This is now how many hours later? I don't know from. I don't. I don't know when uh, the cousin called Ted and, and and Ted made all these calls and then finally at 7 a.m. he got a hold of Clinton and Clinton ordered, apparently ordered the Coast Guard to start a search and said that if they didn't start a search there you know there would be some they'd be looking for jobs, um, so they did. However, they started a ridiculous um, what was it 200 square miles. Even they though were, that they, they even though that that they knew exactly where he would have crashed because they had him on on radar, they did this ridiculous search area. Uh, that's about I don't know maybe maybe two hundred square miles between yeah, it was a ridiculous Long Island and Martha's Vineyard something re- a re- ridiculous and they it was like they were looking everywhere else besides the spot where they knew he must have crashed. Well, yeah, they actually had a um, there's a term for it. And I, I I don't can't put my finger on it right now, yeah. but it's a it's a it's a radar tracking um, device that they that they start like tracking the, the plane. Yeah. From the time it takes off in in Caldwell, New Jersey, from when it crashed. Yeah. So they knew exactly what his route was. They followed it on radar. They knew exactly where he was when the plane went down. And they should have known exactly where to search. Yeah. But they didn't do that. 
And they said that, oh, well, you know, they were questioned about it. And they said, well, we couldn't be certain that that's where it was. And, you know, they, they said that's the approach they always take. They search X amount of, you know, area and blah, blah, blah. It was all, it, what it amounted to was it was a big cover-up to buy them time. Yeah. <clears throat> and why did they need the time, Eric? Well, because the thing is, is that if you're going to deep, uh, dig deep into this conspiracy, uh, they were trying to recover the body of <laughs> the alleged uh, flight instructor right. and right. and his famous duffel bag. Now, one conspiracy theory that I thought was interesting is that somebody wanted to get that duffel bag because apparently contained in that duffel bag was the gemstone file number five, which mm-hmm. apparently True Ought turned over to John Kennedy and that John Kennedy had brought this file with him um, and he wanted to go over some of the details with his Uncle Ted mm-hmm. uh, because he was getting ready to publish another conspiracy theory issue uh, that contains some of what was in this envelope. Now, I want to interject here in saying that this is merely a theory. This is just a theory that that people are saying, because nobody nobody really knows what was inside his duffel bag uh, when he passed away. Well, they do know that he did keep his flight log there, so that's that's kind of documented. They did know that. We know for a, Mm. uh, it's an established fact that he kept this flight log in his duffel bag. There is conjecture that this gemstone file envelope number five was also with him on the day that he crashed because he was going to talk to his uncle and say we need to have another set of hearings like the church committee during the early 1970s that established that yes it is very possible if not probable that jfk and mlk and possibly rfk were assassinated through a conspiracy um, within the federal government, with all eyes and fingers pointing towards former the former head of the CIA at the time, Alan Dulles. Now, there's a lot of things. I think that, that there's a part of this that makes me think, I, I don't think so. I'm having a hard time with this. The issue, the the problem that I have, you mean with the, with the fact that this was a this was a hit? I, the the issue that I have is that this would have been a very awkward time to have this private conversation during the weekend of his cousin's wedding. R- Rory, was it Rory Kennedy who was getting married? I thought. Yes. I yes. think. I think that it would be in bad taste for JFK on the night of the wedding to sit down with Ted and say, "This is what's in this folder. This is what's in this envelope." We're talking about the son of John Kennedy and the brother of John Kennedy during the night of the wedding or the night after the wedding to sit down and have a conversation about something like a. This is a horrible tr- family. A tragic event. This is a horrible event that occurred to this family. Whatever well, we you, don't we don't know that he was necessarily going to discuss it. Maybe he just didn't want to leave it anywhere. That's another. That's maybe, a, that's the most likely conclusion. That is the most likely conclusion that he he had it with him because he didn't. He knew that this was not safe. He could not no, leave it anywhere. No. He did not trust anybody with the contents of that envelope. What I don't understand, 
and, and, and I might be wrong about this. If this was so important, why didn't he make copies of everything and leave the, all the, the copies that he made in a safe in his office, in his office building? Keep in mind also that there were there are a lot of stories about people who claim to have had evidence of there being conspiracy having their offices ransacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know well, that for probably, a fact. Probably not that unusual. Uh, and a perfect <clears throat> the ex- thing is the thing in my mind is who knew that he had this information other other than True Hot. Who I, else I knew? We don't know. We don't know. And, and who knows if you know? I mean, was he like with his father? There was a lot of reasons why. JFK got taken yeah. out. It wasn't just one thing. Maybe there was more than one thing for JFK Jr. Yeah. as well. You know, the fact that he was a prospective, <clears throat> probably senatorial candidate, which would have been a stepping stone to the pre- presidency. It was pretty clear that, um, you know, that was a pretty open pathway to him. Yeah. To at least, very, at the very least, run for president at some point. Um, he was certainly being groomed for that by the by the Democratic Party, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that he had acquired this information. Well, who knew that he had that? Yeah. You know, and was that was that part of the reason for, um, you know, what happened? Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. It's all conjecture at this point. But, you know, yeah. there, there's so many things that really lead you away from what the accepted storyline is on this. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, and the, re, the reason why it took 15 hours to locate the wreckage was or no, I'm sorry, 15 hours to just start the search. Um, was because they were buying time. Yeah. And there was a guy that said witnessed um, helicopters out around in that area um, early, very, very early in that, mor- that morning. He was, I don't know, he was at walking on the beach or something, and he just assumed they were, yeah. <clears throat> you know, he knew what happened, and he assumed they were Coast Guard helicopters. But in fact, they may not have been. They may right. have been other, other than that. Um, yeah. Because when the Coast Guard started the initial search um, at Clinton's um, behest. Yeah. They put out two ships and two helicopters for yeah. 200,000 miles, or 200, was it 200 square miles? 200, yeah, 200 square miles. That's not much. You know, I mean, two, that, that's a lot of territory to cover with two ships and two helicopters. So they were clearly dragging their feet. You know? Yeah. Uh, when, in fact, I think they probably knew exactly where it was. Yeah. And that gave them time to, to do what they needed to do. Um, <clears throat> to the to the to the plane. Um, I don't know how many feet of water it was in. I, I don't remember. Seeing I don't remember anywhere, either. It's out there though. I mean, if uh, you wanted to find, it was it. pretty. It was you know. Real, I mean, it was close enough. Ironically, to it was right, um, almost directly across. And I don't know the distance, but from uh, Jackie Kennedy's house. Um, and yeah, apparently he crashed. One of he cr- one uh, of Carolyn Bissett's suitcases actually washed up on the shore there. And his wallet, his wallet also washed up on the shore. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear that. No, I remember, I remember I, seeing that on on the news as it happened. They found his yeah. wallet and it washed up on the beach of his mother's family's property. So I, I thought, I thought that, I thought that was pretty scary. I thought that was a kind yeah, of like you can't write this stuff. You could not, you could not write yeah. this and get away that's with true. it. I, it's, it's pretty very weird it's very weird i think that there's a lot of things going on throughout all of this entire story whereas it's like there are all these coincidences and stuff like that and there's a theory there's a theory out there that i think is ridiculous is that 
as he was flying by his mother's family's estate on Martha's Vineyard, he, for whatever reason, he he got depressed and he killed the engine to his airplane and he flew to his death. He just plunged the plane. Why the hell would John Jr. do that? And, you know, why would he be flying along to his cousin's wedding? Everything his he, he and his wife, they're a little they're You know, they're trying to work out their marriage. They're trying to figure everything out. He's got a magazine. He he's he's going to run for Senate. There's no doubt that if he ran, he would give who whoever was going to run for Moynihan's seat that he was giving up. There was it was good. It was a fait accompli that he was going to win that election. Mm-hmm. He was at least going to get the party nomination. Without he was going to be a contender. That's for he sure. He was going to be a contender. Mm-hmm. He had everything to look forward to, and he's just driving by, and he and he just looks off to the side, and he looks off, and he and he and he sees he sees the place where he and his mother and his sister had some of the best sun, Sunday um, summer days of his life, and he and he just says, "Ah, oh, fuck it." And he just like does a power, a power drive right into the ocean with his wife and his sister-in-law. And his wife yeah, just, may just, have been. Well, they tried to they tried to paint it as um, having all the um, trappings of a suicide because he just it just the plane just went you know it didn't it didn't gradually and and actually even if he had cut the engine. Um, it would that particular airplane will glide yeah. for I think ten miles before it actually comes down. If he, it's not in, he a, could have glided right into safety. If it's not in a nosedive. So, so here's another interesting piece of information. Um, in that, this is actually in the report in the NTSB report that came out um, when they looked at the. There's there's a thing on these airplanes on most airplanes now. I guess it's called a uh, a fuel regulator. Yeah. And it's 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 like a it's like a gauge kind of, um, and, it's and a, the it's reason a giant, why they it's have a lever. it is because it's a lever. What's that? It's a lever, that? and you can switch back and forth between fuel tanks. You yeah, have so the you reason can, why you have that is to keep to keep the plane balanced, right? Because if if the the gas tanks the fuel tanks are on each wing, it's each each tank has fifty one gallons of fuel. So if you used all the all the fuel in one tank and then switched over to the other tank, it would totally unbalance the plane. So you have to you have to switch back and forth during the flight to, to keep everything equalized. Well when they pulled the wreckage up, this, this fuel regulator was and there's a, there's another feature to it where you can cut off the fuel completely. Yeah. Um, and the reason why you have that is so if the plane catches on fire, say yeah. If there's a fuel leak or something, you can cut the fuel off to the engine and try to keep the fire from getting you know, overwhelming the, the craft. So this fuel gauge on Kennedy's aircraft was on the automatic shutoff. Yeah. And the only way that that can be accomplished is there's an, like an idiot button that you have to push in and then move the lever. There's a safety switch. So it can't be done accidentally. Right. You know, somebody couldn't hit it. And um, so that was in the that was in the automatic cutoff position. Uh, but even if that was done, it wouldn't necessarily cause the plane to go into a nosedive. Like I said, it would glide. Um, so, so the only way that that could have really been accomplished was for somebody to, to lean on the on the um, the flight control uh, um, and really push it to make it you know to make it yeah. go down. Um, like you would like you would do if you were landing, but you know in a, in a very dramatic fashion. So what's what's interesting about that is 
that 100 days later, there was a, an Egyptian aircraft that went down um, in, a, in a very similar location Yeah, um, with a very similar set of circumstances. One of the – there were co-pilots on board or, or and people that were being instructed on flying or something. There was 200 people on board, soldiers, yeah. I think. And it went down in the exact same fashion. It, it just all of a sudden nosedived into the – into the ocean within 200 um, miles of uh the 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 the, um john jr plane crash into the ocean right and in that case they they well that's another thing they never recovered the black box um well i'll take that back they did recover the black box but the backup battery was missing yes which means that if that was taken out then the the thing would not have saved the recording. So yeah. there was no recording of the final minutes of, of what was going on on JFK Jr.'s aircraft before it went down. But on this plane, they, they did have that. And apparently this guy, um, I don't know why he did it, but same thing, he was... You know, he was suicidal or whatever he was doing. Did the same thing. He he pushed on the on the controls so that they took a nosedive. Um, but he also cut off the um, the fuel supply yeah. in the same same fashion. So it was exact same circumstances. So so you kind of have to wonder. Hmm, that's that's a little coincidence. You have two airplanes that crashed within two hundred three hundred miles from each other. They both both of them took a radical nosedive in an almost the same exact location. And when the plane, the, when the both planes were recovered, the fuel, uh, the fuel gauge or the, or the lever, the fuel, the fuel selector valve, gauge regulator valve or something was in the off position in both crashes. That's a huge mm-hmm. coincidence. And that's when things <laughs> really go off the rails, because the thing is, is that you have this for the Egyptian airliner and the pilot for whatever reason said this is where it is this is where i'm going to die turns the fuel off and then pushes the yoke down to fly into the ocean within 200 miles of jfk jr dying in almost the same exact fashion now this is and now this documentary really sort of goes off the rails for me to the point where i almost had to quit watching it because i thought it was so ridiculous but i thought you know what i'm gonna watch this till the the bitter end so i can tell walt yes i watched it and here's what i thought um John Hankey goes into this crazy conspiracy theory that somehow it was the flight instructor who was suicidal or was brainwashed. Well, he was a Manchurian candidate. He was a quote, he was a quote, a a quote Manchurian candidate, meaning that somebody, somebody brainwashed him and programmed him to commit this fatal act. Mm -hmm. Whereas somehow he did something to take control of the plane, turned off the fuel, pushed the yoke down and drove the plane into the ocean right off the coast of um what was jackie's family's name i'm, I'm dying here um jackie the bouvier compound bouvier. yeah bouvier yeah okay why and it gets back to john jr there's three things that people look at that kind of like this this is very unusual this this is more than just a coincidence John Jr. had in his possession this envelope that had proof that somebody was behind his father's assassination besides just Lee Harvey. He was, he was also um, 
about ready to publish another series of articles in his magazine about the conspiracy theories within our, uh, with our, within our own government. He was not just going after his father's killers. He was going after other people in government who had perpetrated these horrible crimes. What those horrible crimes are, that's up for the listener to decide. But most importantly, he was he was going to announce that he was going to. Now, did he already announce that he was going to run for Senate? Did he actually announce that yet? Was he was he already a front runner for the for the for the Democratic Party nominee for Moynihan's old seat? Um, and that for whatever reason, this, quote, Manchurian candidate, unquote, uh, took it upon himself to kill JFK Jr. for one of those three reasons or all three. Who knows? So how do you account for the lag time in beginning the search? How do you account for the 15 hours? I can't. Time? Why Why did they wait so long? And, and why did they? I, I just I just looked it up. It was it was actually 20,000 square miles. The, the space they were searching. 20,000 square 20, 000, miles. 20,000 square miles. That's a lot of space when they actually knew exactly where the where the plane was. They, it, they, in my estimation, they, anyway. They knew where the plane had crashed within an area of five square miles, I heard somewhere. Or, or even closer than that. Yeah. If they had it on, if they had a radar, they, they could have gotten the exact point. Yeah. Points, you know, from the radar. Um, record. Yeah. Um, so, so what that did, you know, and, and to me, this this accounts for it is that gave them time to send a team out there and get the body of the of the flight instructor, get the duffel bag, take the battery out of the um, black box or the recorder, um, and you know, kind of start the cover up. That's the only thing in my mind that accounts for that 15 hour lag. There's another thing that we didn't talk about. There's a be these this particular plane, and I think most planes now are equipped with a beacon. Yeah, which which would automatically go off um, if there was problem with a plane. Yeah, and so that had to have been sounding, and, and that would have led them directly to where the where the crash site would have been. Yeah, you know, it's like a it's like an, a, a GPS almost. Yeah. So a transponder. They said they an they said it wasn't working or something. An automatic like, you know, emergency space. transponder. Yes, exactly. So there's all these things like how do you account for that? You know, they they should have known exactly where that plane was, and gone and, and recovered it, recovered the bodies, and and that's that. You know, um, but you, you know, on the other side of the coin, you're talking about, and it's the same thing with the JFK assassination. You're talking about a bunch of people that would have to be complicit in this uh, quite a few a yeah, few the guy um few. the guy um it was kind of the spokesman what was his name uh, i forget his name now he was i think he was a coast guard officer or it might have been yeah. here because the air force got involved at some point too um you know he 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 just laid out all of these falsehoods about this whole thing you know to make the story more plausible oh you you mean that when um the investigation the crash investigation um was taken away from the uh, the national guard the coast guard ntsb and was turned over to the pentagon the investigation yes 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 he was the representative from the pentagon so you're right so the thing is is that why did the pentagon take over the investigation because one of the thing one of the links that i had that that's that's in our show notes is that in the very beginning, right after they started the search, they started to look at this as a criminal investigation, and it's do- and it's well documented within this. And, and, and granted, it could, it's it's all hearsay. 
it's hearsay. But they looked into this as a criminal investigation. And that they said that there's, within the investigation, investigators were t- looking at each other and they said, this is a murder case. We're looking at this as a murder case. Why? What made them think, other than the fact that this was the son of a, of a former president who was, all, who was assassinated? But he was still a civilian. He was a, a civilian. A but famous, A famous civilian, but he was a civilian. So why did the Pentagon get involved? You have to ask yourself. They, they're not supposed to be involved with civil, civilian affairs. It's a military. That's military stuff. Yeah, you have, to, you have to wonder about that. That's another thing. Is it because he was the nephew of a senator? Could that? He's have- still, but he's still a civilian, Eric. He's not in the mil- he, he is not in the military. He was not in an act. He, he wasn't even an ex-military. He was never even in the military. So you know, it's curious as well, to why they got involved with it. Are you making? Are you trying to make my point for me? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's, that's my viewpoint on that. Why did the Pentagon take over the investigation? Good question. Yeah, that is very unusual. It is. Even to the level of the point where we understand, we know that he is a celebrity. We know he was, I mean, he was the son of a former president who was assassinated. Mm-hmm. He was the nephew of a sitting senator. He was a publisher of a magazine. He was, John Jr. was most likely going to be the next senator from New York after he ran to succeed Senator Moynihan. Now, do we want to take a, a, a break and a breather? Do we want to talk about the background characters of this conspiracy theory? Yeah, let's let's finish up while we're rolling. All right. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's the next logical place to go is who 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 are the who could be the possible culprits behind if in fact you you buy the fact that this was an assassination and not just a tragic error on the part of JFK Jr. Uh, who who would stand to gain from that? What do you think, Eric? Well, here's the issue. Here's the problem that I have with all of these crazy conspiracy theories about JFK Jr. being killed for political reasons. Who was running for president at the time in 1999, mm. leading up to the 2000 good, election? Good question, Eric. It's funny Some how we... question I would have asked. It's funny. I, I, I can't remember his name. I... I got to go out in the yard and I got to turn over every stone, every rock, every stone, look under every bush to see who who was running for president at the time. And see if you find a W under any of those bushes. Uh, w stands for what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Because the thing is that it was just like well, one of the... One of the well, here, here's, an, here's an interesting point, too. Um Nobody, you know, it's <laughs> kind of the same thing as Dallas. Who, nobody knew what W's whereabouts were during this time, during this period of time. There was like a two or three day, and he was on the campaign trail. We're talking about somebody, he, he, he took time off. He took time off. Mm. Why? I don't know. Maybe he was doing a little fishing off of uh, Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Where was? With, 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 with Daddy and Dick Cheney. Exactly. Where was fishing for stripers? I think it's pronounced strippers, but okay, I'll let that slide. Okay, it could be. I'm gonna, but the thing is, is that this is not a rhetorical question. Where was George W. Bush on the weekend of JFK Jr.'s death? Nobody knows. You do, you do a Google search and tell me what you find. Do a Google search and tell me what you find. You find nobody knows. That's. I think it's pretty strange that the thing is, is that he's on the campaign trail. And he is getting, he is looking to run for, he's looking for the party nomination. 
And a lot of people like myself were kind of like, we were, we were kind of scratching our heads saying, now, wait a minute. Okay. Because now we're looking at, we're looking at a family dynasty again. Because the thing is, is that if you were to look at um, uh, George Sr., George Sr. had been in office since January of 1981, whether as president or vice president. And he was, um, I think that George Sr. was in office from at least three terms as either president or vice president since January of well, 81. Some, some people say that he was a de facto president, uh, right. de facto president under Reagan. Because Reagan was already shot. suffering the signs of Alzheimer's. Yeah. One of the things that, and, and the thing is, where's George? Because George had been missing um, for some time um, during the um, Iranian hostage crisis. Where's, where's George W.? Apparently, George W., according to Oliver North, had said, and people, I, I hope people understand that this, this is hard to swallow. According to Oliver North, George Sr., George Herbert Walker Bush was with him when they were in Paris negotiating with the Iranians for the arms for hostage deal, all part of Iran-Contra. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, and, a, and a, the media made a huge deal about this. Where was George during the campaign when Ron Reagan and George Sr. were running for president and vice president. And you get into George W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush during the 1980 campaign. And apparently he was with Oliver North to negotiate the release of the Iranian hostages or the 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 American hostages that were in Tehran, which is pretty kind of like that's pretty significant. Now, the day that Ronald Reagan was was almost shot by John Hinckley, who was obsessed with um, what's her face, Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. He was he was also a Manchurian candidate. Yeah, in my estimation. Okay, yeah. where 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 was George Herbert Walker Bush on the day of the assassination attempt against um, Ronald Reagan? Do a Google search. This is uh, Dallas. She, who knows. <laughs> Yeah, no, nobody knows. I know that's it. They have an odd way of disappearing. It's it's funny. Um, you know, something else we haven't talked about. There's another whole aspect of this. Um, there was a lawyer uh, named Victor Probanik, uh, a, pr- a pretty credible witness if he's a lawyer, I would think. Um, he was fishing uh, uh, right near there. Yeah. He was fishing for stripers, striped bass. And he claims to have heard a really loud explosion. Yeah. Um, right around that time when the, when the plane would have deep sixed, so I don't know. And then there's a, there's another um, there was another there was a reporter from the local newspaper from the Martha's Vineyard newspaper yeah. who, who also claims to have heard an explosion. And um, this hanky called the, the paper. And they said that, um, oh, that wasn't that wasn't true. There was some people were shooting rockets off, and that's what that was. Yeah. And he said, well, can I? He said, can I talk to the reporter? And she said, well, he's not here right now. So he said, well, when will he be back? And she said, oh, he won't be back. He's he's left the paper. He's going back to school or something. So nobody could ever get a hold of him. He's like disappeared along with a along with the guy from the Coast Guard that made the initial yeah. report on the phone call from or the 
quote from Kennedy. So, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, which is weird. I don't, I don't know what the explosion would have been. Um, you know, who knows? There's a lot of different possibilities. Yeah, there is the whole thing about the explosion, the reported sound. Somebody said there were, it was... There was fireworks and whatnot, and there was a there were and there's a link to this in the show page and on the on in the library at the Federal Chronicles, whereas there was a reporter who came forward and did a story on somebody who heard the explosion exactly right around the time that JFK's Jr.'s plane crashed. And then this somebody was doing due diligence and they looked to see, hey, you know, what's what's the deal? What's the story we want to get? Oh, no, no. Um, this person was in Falmouth and they were looking in the direction and there was fireworks. There was fireworks that night. Totally. And the thing is, if you know anything about Falmouth and you know about the location of Falmouth and Martha's Vineyard, you realize that that story does not hold any truth because of the geography. Yeah, well, she just she just made it up. Well, she just made it up. Okay. Maybe, you know, whoever he talked to, she was probably a secretary. And the thing is that there's all these, and again, just like with the Warren Commission, and I'm going to host the the article to this because there's a pathologist and um, uh, who had done his own investigation and looked into the Warren report. And nowhere in the Warren report is there um, all the testimony from the people who were there at Daly Plaza. And the thing is, is that there are people who actually did have their testimony in like what? There was 12 volumes of the Warren Report. I'm not talking about the condensed um, version. I'm talking about, you know, the, the 12 volumes um, of, the, of the Warren Report. People came forward and they had said who, whose, name, whose testimony was actually in the, published in the, in the 12 volumes. They said, I never said this. There are people who were there at Daly Plaza. They went to their local library to look. And by the way, there's no index that I know of, of the Warren Report. People went, they looked at their testimony. They went through all 12 volumes. When they found their, their testimony, their testimony had changed. Mm-hmm. And they came forward and they said, I, this is not what I said to the Warren Report. This is not what I said to the FBI. This is not what I said to the police. They changed my testimony. So you have this well, person. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, the, the, the underlying story here. I know I'm I jumping around, by that, the way. I know trying to prove a is, point is that um the the media around this was was managed it was managed on how all this was reported it was controlled by somebody i you know i i don't know who that would be or yeah. how that would happen but um the the story completely changed from when it started to when it, how it ended up um, just the fact that you know there's a clip of that coast guard guy saying yeah his his he, he called in at 9.39, just like he was supposed to do. And then, boom, all of a sudden that was gone. And he was gone. They, I don't know what they did with him. Nobody seems to even know where he is anymore. So, you know, that's to me, that's the underlying story is that um, all this stuff, you know, and we've talked about how perception is manipulated. Yeah. Well, that's what happened here. That, that's that's the second thread of this story is that, the, you know, the, everybody's perception of this um, and I'll have to say, including my own to some degree, because it all sort of, you know, whoever put the spin out there, it was it was well done. I mean, it was somebody came up and said, aha, let's make him look like a reckless jerk that, you know, just was careless and, you know, took his life and his own life and his pregnant wife and his sister-in-law's life in his hands and just didn't care. You know, he was just going to. He was just a thrill seeker or whatever, which is totally false, totally false. It wasn't wasn't that way at all. You know, every by every source that you read, he was a very meticulous um, pilot. 
that, that he did everything by the book. And so something happened. Yeah. You know, something that I don't think he was responsible for. Take your pick what you think it is, but um, or who who yeah. was behind it. But there's there was you know, he he was in my mind anyway, and our listeners can make their choice based on you know what they read or what they what they delve into from here on out. But um, you know, I, I think there's something way more to it than than he was just just being you know careless or or didn't know how to fly the plane or blah blah blah. That's one of the things that came out from the family, who, whoever that might be, the Kennedy right. family, whoever that spokesman was. Um, you know that he he wasn't he wasn't a careful pilot. That he wasn't a good pilot. Well, that's not true. It's not true at all. There's a lot of and everything yeah. everything that's there about his procedure of how he handled things contradicts that completely. So I don't know why somebody would say that, but I guess we do know why somebody would say that. Yeah, yeah, actually. But I mean, the thing is, is that we have we have all the links that are that all of our research notes to all of this. Mm-hmm. We have up on it's going it's in the show page. Um, on the Metaphysical Podcast website, metaphysicalpodcast.com. You go and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to look at all the things that we had found. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of lingering questions. There are a lot of questions that are still not answered. Like, what? why did they wait so long to dispatch a search team to find JFK Jr.? There's a lot of things that, why did George W. Bush leave the campaign and disappear for three days on that very same weekend? Mm-hmm. Some people could argue, Walt, that he, that he had a relapse in his sobriety. <laughs> There's a lot of people yeah. that that's, hey, look, that's not, that's not an unfair question. There are people who could say he, he started, you know, drinking and drugging again. And he did a, 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 he did a, a three-day rehab. Who knows? Or, you know, maybe he was on a party boat off of uh, Martha's Vineyard watching the whole the whole thing go down. Some there there's speculation. A little party. There's speculation that he participated in all of this, but the thing is, is that that's an unanswered question. I cannot. Well, one of the tenets, one of the tenets, uh, supposedly now of the Skull and Bones Society, of which his father is a member and he's a yeah. member, is that in order to Carey. move up in the in the hierarchy, um, you have to be a participant in a murder. So murder or assassination, Walt, which is it? Pick one. Well, it's the same. It's yeah. The same thing. You, have to, you have to be involved in a bloodletting of some kind. Right. It's one of the occult, one of the occult tenets. I wouldn't, uh, yeah. But the thing is that it was, um, saying. but, he, but here, and here's my, here's my color commentary for all of this. In doing the research, it's very easy to get very sidetracked because the thing is, is that one of the websites that I went to in doing my own re- research so you go from John Jr., who's going to run for Senate, and he was going to be fighting neck and neck an uphill battle against Hillary Clinton. You have what some websites that say if John Jr. wasn't killed or assassinated, he would have won, and Hillary Clinton would have just up and disappeared and left politics because she could not have left. Keep in mind, let's look at the mindset of what was going on in the country in the ni- at the at the end of the nineties in 1999. As the Clintons were getting ready to leave the White House, Bill Clinton had barely politically survived the uh, Paula Jones impeachment investigation. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he, I mean, look, I mean, he was censured for his behavior in the role of Paula Jones. He lied about Monica Lewinsky. Um, every with all the trappings, every there was Hillary Clinton had come under a lot of scrutiny because of her behavior as first lady. 
there were a lot of people who simply did not like her. She was in many circles in the DNC persona non grata because of her diva-like mentality. She's a mean woman. She was a she was. I mean, Democrats were calling that's, her. That's a mean, Trump's phrase. Democrats were tired of the Clintons. The Democrats were saying, you had your eight years, but t- t- technically 10 years in the spotlight if you also count their time gearing up, getting ready for the election. We've had a, essentially... Since 1990, they were in the they were in the front pages. You had everything that you had. You had Paula Jones. You had Jennifer Flowers. You you had um, the Bimbo eruption team. They were they were constantly in the news. And as time progressed, things were getting worse and worse. You had Janet Reno. You had every fiasco associated with Janet Reno. Um, the whole Amelia Gonzalez, you had the Waco standoffs, you had Ruby Ridge. It's just this long list of controversies. And the thing is, is that Democrats were getting war-weary with the Clintons. They were ready to let them go, go off into the sunset, write your memoirs, and then, you know, just live the rest of your life as an elder statement. People were done. People were starting to turn their backs on the Clintons and look forward to the Gores. This was Al Gore's time. Well, and, and I think that came back to haunt her during the, this last election too, against Trump. I think some of that stuff came back to get her. Uh, everything. Um, but, you know, the, 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 thing that, the thing that strikes me about this whole thing, to kind of sum it up, I guess, is that how little choice we probably really have, yeah. who we've, even though we have the illusion of democracy, how little choice we really have in who we actually get as the candidates. Yeah. And that either, either one, is going to be in the pocket of whoever it is that's behind the whole thing, you know. And and I think that that the Kennedy family um, had a long track record track record of not playing the game, you know. From from Jack to to Bobby to Ted, I th- I think Ted was SmackDown. I think that's what Chappaquiddick was all about. Yeah. And um, you know, so I I think this was just the end stage of that of that whole thing. Right. You know, it wasn't the Kennedy curse in quotes. It was the fact that the Kennedys had a track record of going against the grain, of not playing the yeah. playing the big game, you know. And I think this was just the latest episode. Um which is probably why no other candidates have really stepped up to um, to really go to that next stage. But maybe yeah. one of them will. I don't. I don't know. But um, it's a pretty clear pattern of you know the Kennedys are not going to maintain the status quo. They're yeah. going to push some some buttons. They're pushing and, the envelope, and you see and you see what happens when you do that. Now, but in all honesty, you look at how the Clinton brand had been tainted in 1999 heading into 2000. If you look at the political climate that was not favorable towards the Clintons, John Jr. would have won the party nomination. I don't know. I do not know a lot of people who were like saying, oh, no, no, Hillary would have taken it from John Jr. easily. I think it would have been an uphill battle for Hillary. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that he certainly would have given her a run for her money. If, in fact, he he did choose to do that. We don't, we don't even really know that for I mean, I don't think he's ever really said he was going to do that. Really? Um, maybe he did. I don't know. I don't, I don't think he ever clearly came out and said, I'm going to be a candidate for, for senator. I think everybody kind of assumed that, and it was kind of looking like that. And he, he was making motions in that direction. Um, but, you know, even if whoever you want to pin it on, 
it's it's in a larger sense it's a group of people that manipulate our reality you know through the media through taking out people that may look like they may be yeah. problematic you know um who knows maybe maybe they had her earmarked as yeah. the as the the next female president or something and they, you know down the line and they yeah. and they were moving in that direction and Ken, and Kennedy would have presented a, a huge obstacle to that I don't know it's all conjecture we don't know it's certainly within the realm of possibility though that something yeah. something went on with this event that's more than what it appears to be as yeah. far as I'm concerned so that's that's my final <laughs> my final thought on it I guess so yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. But you, Eric, you have a final thought? I think the final thought on all of this is that this is one of our greatest unsolved mysteries. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that uh, I think that after doing this show, I think that doing this show sort of taints the way that I look at the original JFK assassination in Dallas November 22nd, 1963, I think that with everything that we have just said in the past hour, almost two hours in doing the show, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I cannot believe that there wasn't a conspiracy against John Sr. In that going down, looking at some of the old evidence, looking at some of the new evidence, looking at some of the things that have been coming out of JFK.org, a lot of the interviews that they have been conducting with people who are actually there, who are at the twilight of their lives, and they're saying, well, what are they going to do? Kill me? I'm dying of cancer anyway. Um, a lot of people who have come forward and said, this is this is what actually happened. And I think that you have somebody like John Jr. 20 years ago who uh, was going to, no matter what was going to happen, whether or not he was going to run for the Senate or whether or not he was going to keep running his magazine, he was going to do everything that he could to expose the truth about what really happened to his father. And I think that cost him. I think that there are I think that there are people who are looking at this and they said this cannot stand. We cannot let this kid get away with this. I think I think it was political assassination. How he actually died whether or not it was you know from a you know like out of a James Bond movie whether or not it was uh you know by a la- a, a, a laser beam that was mounted on you know the deck of yeah, there's a some, ship there's some uh, conjecture about that too that was a particle beam whether that was whether it was, I mean, a, he was flying along perfectly normal and just went boom. right you know there, there's there's not that many explanations the plane just it simply a brand new airplane the, essentially a so brand new mechanical. a brand new airplane fell out of the sky and for mm-hmm. and we we won't i don't think we will ever know and on top of that, because we just had we just did a show not too long ago about the documents that had been released. Um, President Trump demanded that these documents associated with the JFK assassination be released. Um, we we did a show on that. There are there there were there's a little trickle of revelations coming out of that. But now, come to find out, there are documents associated with John Jr.'s death. That apparently that are they're going to be remain sealed until like what 2027, and it was just what's in the documents. Why are they holding on to these documents? And the thing is, is that who does it hurt? And it was just like I, there's a part of me that in the back of my head is saying, Eric, you know, maybe we should just let these people um, rest in peace, let it go. There's a part of me that says that. There's the other part of me that looks at what happened. And the thing is that it was like, we're talking about people who've gotten away with murder. If we just look at John Sr., there are people who got away with murder. And it changed, it changed the way the, the country was run since then. 
and that and, and and some of these people are be painted are painted as american heroes yeah i know? mean lyndon johnson uh, look at what lyndon johnson escalated the war in vietnam mm-hmm. okay look at the relationship that united states that had. was a million that was a millionaire's war everybody got to be millionaires off of that yeah you you look at our relationship with cuba and the soviet union the escalation of the cold war after kennedy's assassination you, you look at our relationship with Eastern Europe after Kennedy's assassination. Kennedy tried really hard to cool the Cold War. And also with the death of John Sr., people stopped believing the government. People started to sort of like say, something's wrong here. While there are still people... Well, who, except they, they believed all this stuff about JFK Jr. But, you know, they, but they the they thing is, that, that you look at the counterculture movement really began to take pick up steam after the Kennedy assassination and the publication of the Warren Report. Saturday Evening Post, I think, did a story in 1965 or 67, front page, Saturday Evening Post, about the flaws in the, in the Warren Report. Already, people were already starting to question the government. I think that that's, that's something that you have to consider, is that it changed the way Americans viewed the government, where the FBI was under But, but it, hasn't had, it hasn't had any impact on anything. Maybe so, but they're, they're still doing what they're doing. They're still obviously. doing what they're doing, but I think that the thing is, is that I think it was the beginning of an awakening. Well, that's what I hope. I, I, I would hope that, yeah, that people are... I mean, I'm hoping that this show... Uh, maybe awakens a few people. I know there's X amount of people are going to say, oh, that's, that's bullshit. Yeah. It's nonsense. But but then there's X amount of people who might say, well, you know what? That, there's sounds like there might be some credibility there. You know, it's, yeah. it's like when we did the Paul is Dead show. I know you, you didn't totally buy into that, but, um, you know, when, when, you, when you present all of these evidences of things, you know, you're going to have to take at least take a more serious look at that. It's not just somebody saying, oh, JFK Jr. was assassinated. I just think he was. Well, no, there's a lot more there than that. The hardest part for me in the whole uh, the, the whole Paul McCartney controversy, and I said this at the end of that episode, if they did this to Paul McCartney, who else did they do this to? Who well, else are they doing this to? Yeah. And what it, what <laughs> what is there to really believe in? What, what is real, you know? I, I don't know if there's anything that's really real, you know, that's not tainted in some way by some kind of spin, you know. Just, I don't know. It's hard to say. Okay, well, let's leave it at that, I guess. And um, let's um, let's hope we can um, both get to see the, the new Mickey Mouse show. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. And I think the thing is, is that it's like, gotta work on, I'm going to work on my dance. I've got to work on my dance moves. I think you do. I think you do. And get your mouse ears out. I think you, yeah, I don't know about that. They're, that's, that's a little old school, but maybe, I don't know. I, I think that you could, I think that you could still win with, with the, with the mouse ears. Mm, I don't know, Eric. I'm a little, a little past that. They, they showed a clip of it. It was, this was on good morning America, by the way, which is Disney owned, of course. Oh yeah. And uh, they showed all these teenage kids dancing and looking cool. And you know, the implication is that if you watch the new Mickey Mouse club, you can be as cool as them. Oh, really? What, yeah, what if, so I'm, I'm just saying, you know, but what if I don't want to be as cool as them? What if I want to be cool? Well, as- then, then what's wrong with you, Eric? There's clearly something wrong with you. Oh yeah. I'm getting a wicked case of deja vu here, Walt.
<laughs> well, well, Walt. So go to metaphysicalpodcast.com and uh, click the link to the JFK Jr. assassination show page. Read all the documents that we have uncovered. We also had, hey, listen, look, we, the sh- when this show is all said and done, it's going to probably come under two hours. There's a lot of stuff in there that we were not able to cover. And we'll probably, who knows, we'll probably do another episode on some more of the evidence that come out. I think that we are going to do a couple more shows on conspiracy theories and state-sponsored assassinations. And I think that we are we are past due for another show about Alan Dulles. I think that <laughs> there are some other things that have come out about Alan Dulles that I'd like to be able to share and talk about. And uh, Eric, Eric being the president of the Alan De- Dulles fan club. I, he's such a great guy. Gives me nice, nice warm fuzzies knowing that he's looking out for us. He's got know. a poster of him up on his wall. I do. Unfortunately, it's got a bullseye right in the middle of his forehead. <laughs> He's one of the one of the most evil men that ever inhabited the American yeah landscape yeah so good show Walt okay Eric so um, I think it's a I think it's an eye opening show um, as as always you know we put this stuff out there this is what we uncovered you can believe it not believe it or believe part of it or whatever however you want to go with it it's fine yeah we're just putting it out there as information that's all. yeah I'm not saying you have to believe it or not believe it yep. That's what we do. It's what we do. See, when Fox News says, we report, you decide, they don't really mean it, but we do. We report and you decide because we honestly believe that. Tell us if you think we're full of crap, tell us and tell us why. And uh, yeah, good show, Walt. Okay, Eric. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. That's also a great way to get in touch with Walt, Jim, and Eric, and let us know what you think of the podcast, as well as topic suggestions for a future show. If we use your suggestion, we'll send you a t-shirt or coffee mug. Just send along your size and preference with your email. You can be a part of the metaphysical connection between shows by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook by going to our metaphysical connection group and following us on Twitter at physics laxative. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, and form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. So for Walt, Jim, and Eric, this is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on. And before I sign off and say, we got through a whole show 
without any mention of the Anunnaki. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, dude. Ring, ring the bell. Ring the bell, Eric. <laughs>